Are you comfortable where you're seated? I hadn't done that in a long time. That's been probably a couple of years since I've done that. Well, if you are comfortable or if you're not comfortable, stand up, shake hands with three or four people. If you don't know Nancy, find Nancy. Shake hands with three or four folks. Just introduce. You ought to get 40 crowds. You can be seated. Nancy's favorite thing is shaking hands. So find her and shake her hand every week. It just makes her day. <laughs> oh, and, and happy birthday, by the way, Nancy. Um, I hope I didn't say that. I did not say that. Her boys have been trying to get me to say it all week, all, all this morning. I said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I heard them. They were bouncing around saying. Nothing, nothing but love, nothing but love. Okay. They, they asked me to do that, and I, and I started quoting scripture on them. and said, I'm not going to let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, especially when it applies to a woman's age. That is not happening. Um. Uh, the question was, how did the man die? He was at um, Lake Palestine with his family. He was swimming and uh, not a strong swimmer. And he got in trouble and, and passed away. His wife went out to try to, to help him. Uh, she has asthma. She had an asthma attack as she's holding on to his hand. And uh, she had an asthma attack, had to, lose, had to lo- let loose of her grip. And her lungs filled with, with water. And she's in, in critical condition in Tyler um, right now. There's a... There's a family that's supposed, that was going to be here today, but they're close to the situation, so they called Michelle and asked her to, to relay that to us and ask us to be praying as a church for them. Um, I love the lake. I love water, um, but we've got to be smart. We've got to be uh, real careful when we're out there and, and look out for each other. We are our brother's keeper, especially when we're out on the lake. Um, so I just want to give you permission before we ever head out there. If you're going with us and you see a kid doing something that makes you nervous, you jerk that kid up. <laughs> you take it to the parents and you tell them what's... I mean, I would much rather a parent be offended that you corrected their child than that child be in the hospital or, or dead. Um, we're not going to take any chances when we're out there. So we just need to think about that um, as we're going today. Uh, next week, I just want to give you a, a little heads up what's going to happen Um, We like to do things differently all the time. Um, So one of the things you're going to do is it'll be totally different next week. This set will be gone. Um, Next week we're going to start a three-week series called The Table. And the idea is that the church is the table where we invite folks who need the bread of life. And we're going to talk about the table. We're going to talk about why our church does things the way we do things. And if you are curious at all about what this church does, where we're going, then be here for the next three weeks because when you finish that time, you'll understand clearly the, the uh, priorities that our church has. Um, and, I, and I think we'll learn some stuff along the way. 
Today, I want to talk to you about a very familiar story, but I want to apply it maybe in a little bit different way. Oh, I got one more thing back there. Heather says, please, if you have dishes, pick them up. There are all kinds of dishes back here. We love your dishes when there's food in them. We don't like them when they're empty. So take them home, fill them up, and then you can bring them back. So at the back table, check and see. That's the hardest thing it seems like in church work is to get rid of dishes that that are empty. Um, I don't know. Anyway, today we're going to talk about David and Goliath. And I want to kind of set the scene for you. The battle lines were drawn. And on one side of the valley were the Philistines. On the other side of the valley were the Israelites. Now, to understand this fully, you got to, you got to know a little bit of background. The, um, the Philistines, they are from the western part, the western coastland of Palestine. And their specialty is the iron market. They made shields. They made swords. They made chariots. <laughs> chariots are a great thing to have when you're in war, especially when the other people don't have them. So that you have to understand, that's what these guys were about. Great weapons of war. They knew how to use them. They knew how to dominate people. You got the Israelites on the other side. The Israelites are farmers. You know, pitchforks and plows and, and, you know, stuff like that. Not real good farming equipment. So when you, if you had to go to battle against somebody that has all this stuff, it makes sense that you would employ the things of war that would help you, the, the, the strategies that would help your people. So for the Philistines, they wanted to draw people down into the plains where they could chase them with their horses and kill them. For the, for the Israelites, they're like, no way, man, I'm not coming down there. You come up here to get me. Well, the, the Philistines weren't about to go up in the hills where their chariots would be negated. And so you had this, this kind of standoff thing that was going on. And so sometimes in those days when you had a standoff, what they would do is they would choose the best warrior from one uh, army and he would go out and challenge the best warrior from the other army. Whoever won that battle, then the other army would win and, and you'd save a lot of life. Well, so the Philistines had this uh, giant, fearsome warrior named Goliath. And he would walk out every morning and every evening and he would say something like this. Yo, you Israelites, send your best man out to fight me. If he beats me, then we serve you. If I beat him, then you serve us. He didn't say it nearly so nicely. If you ever watch WWF or something like that, you see those guys up there taunting and challenging. That's Goliath, because I mean, like he was the original Andre the Giant type dude. And that's dating me because that's. Andre's way old. If you saw Princess, Princess Bride, Andre the Giant was in Princess Bride. He's the behemoth there. Um, anyway, never mind. He's dead. Just to show you how much I keep up with it. Um, so here's the deal. Goliath was nine foot nine, 438 pounds behemoth of a man. Just huge guy. Undefeated, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. And nobody in the Israelites were going to mess with him. They were cowering in fear. Now, enter Jesse. Jesse had eight sons and three of them were in this makeshift Israelite army that was hiding up in the hills. Their names were Eliab, Shammah, and Abinadab. Those are great names, aren't they? Who needs the baby name book when you got the Bible? I mean, Shammah Washburn. Janie wouldn't let me name Caleb Joshua because there was too much shh in there. Joshua Washburn, Shama Washburn. She wouldn't like that. But, I mean, I need to call Wes. As a matter of fact, Wes is at the hospital right now with Jennifer, and, and they induced her this morning. I called just about an hour ago. Nothing had happened, but I need to, they're having a boy, and I need to call and say, you hear that? Abinadab Kennedy. Great names. Anyway, Jesse wanted to know what was going on in the battle, so he calls his youngest son, who is a shepherd. His name's David. 
And he says, hey, go to the front lines and take your brother some supplies. Well, David is a teenager. Can you just hear him? Yeah, man, I get a front row in the Goliath show. I'm there. So he takes the supplies and he goes and, and he goes to the front line. He gets there and he's walking around the camp. And what he does is he hears these guys talking, kind of whispering amongst themselves. Have you seen Goliath? He's like, his, his biceps are huge. I heard his spear weighs 25 pounds. His armor weighs 200 pounds. Nobody's going to go fight him, though. And David, teenager David, just coming up to check on stuff. He goes, I can take him. Can you hear the people? He's like, what in the world? He says, man, I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear. Whatever came mess with my flock, I killed him. He'd be like one of them. His older brother overhears him, Eliab. He heard him talking. He said, Dave, you're just talking smack. He said, dude, you got peach fuzz on your face. This is a man's deal. What's, what's wrong with the two couple of sheep that you're supposed to be watching out there? He said, you just want to see the battle. Get out of here, dude. David looks at his brother very calmly. And he turns and he goes to talk to somebody else. And he starts saying, is this what's going on? Tell me what's happening. And they said, yeah, this is what's going on. And I mean, there was major reward if you went and fought Goliath and you won. You know, the, your father's home would, would be free from taxes. You get to marry the king's daughter. I mean, there was major stuff. But nobody wanted to mess with Goliath. They weren't thinking about that. They were thinking about Andre the Giant, you know, slobbering on him and stuff like that out there. So David starts talking to somebody else. Well, King Saul hears that David's going around going, I can take him. I can take him. So King Saul decides that he's going to call David in. He calls him into his tent and talks to him. Now, you got to understand, the Bible tells us that King Saul, he was probably about six foot eight. Because the Bible says that King Saul stood head and shoulders above all the rest of the people of his nation. And I imagine about this time, Saul had the worst posture in the kingdom. He's probably hunched over, you know, on my back, on my back. I'm really 5'8". I'm not 6'8". Because if he had stood up, the logical person in this, in this nation to face Goliath was Saul. But Saul calls David in and he goes, David, I hear that you think you can take Goliath. He says, you've got to be nuts. I mean, he's seeing this kid, this scrawny kid, peach fuzz. He says, you think you can take Goliath? And he says, yeah, I think I can take him. He says, I've, I've taken out the lion and I've taken out the bear. God will give me the victory just like he did there. And, and King Saul, being a weasel, he's like, oh, okay, here's my armor. Good luck with the, the big guy, you know, that type of deal. Saul just not a good leader in this situation. And so David says, no, I haven't tested your armor. I can't go like that. He said, I don't need your armor to take the big guy out. So David comes out. He gets five stones. You know that story. He gets about the distance from the pitcher to a catcher, slinging that stone around over his head. And the Bible tells us that David could split a hair at 30 feet. That means he was pretty good. <laughs> I can't even shoot a hair at 30 feet, but he could do it with a sling. He slings that around, lets it go. When that, when that rock comes out, it's traveling about 200 feet per second. So it's like a, a bow that you would use in, in bow hunting for deer or something like that. It comes out, he lets it go, hits Goliath right in the forehead with the force of a bullet. Goliath falls down, armor clanging, 200 pounds of armor. That'd be pretty cool to hear on the desert floor. He's just bouncing around over there, falls dead, and everyone freaks out. All of a sudden, the Israelites get all this courage, and they run out, and, and all of the Philistines, they lose all this courage, and they run away, and the Israelites chase him, and they have this amazing victory. Now, with all of that as background, I want to ask you, what is the characteristic of David? What is the controlling characteristic of his life? You can talk about endurance. You can talk about courage. Um, you can talk about discipline. But I want to tell you today what I believe that the overwhelming characteristic in David's life was vision. He had a vision from God. Well, let's, let's define that. What is vision? This first thing on your listening guide. Vision is the God-given ability to see the unseen. 
to see the unseen. It's seeing the transparent through the apparent. And God wants all of us to be visionaries. In fact, if we could go to heaven right now and we could see God's vision for our lives, for this church unfolded before us, we'd go, no way. I can't believe that. There's no way, God. You've got that, that type of vision um, for me in my marriage, in my dating relationships, in my company. No way, God. That's unbelievable. Well, if that's true, if God has this unbelievable plan for my life, and the reality is that I'm not experiencing that plan, then what's the problem? Well, the problem is we don't have God's vision for our lives. Well, then how do you get God's vision? Good questions. And that's why we're going to look at First. Uh, Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to look at several verses, pull out some principles that we desperately need to download into our lives so that you and I can face the giants in our life, much the way David did the giant in his life. All right. The first thing you need to understand about vision is vision takes hold. It takes root in the obscure. Vision takes hold, takes root in the obscure. Now, the power for vision comes from the private areas of your life. Let me explain this. If you know anything about David, you know he was a guy that spent a lot of time alone. When you're a shepherd, you hang out with the sheep. There's not usually a whole lot of people around you. You're under the stars with the sheep. You sleep with the sheep. You, you move the sheep from one place to another. If the grass runs out here, you go to another place. If the water runs out here, you go to another place. And it's you and the sheep for months at a time. So David hung out by himself a lot alone. Um, scholars think that David probably had an IQ of above 150. So he was probably, um, you know, genius IQ. He was a musical genius. And, and I read that um, he, he, has, he had the military mind of, of uh, Norman Schwarzkopf. And still today at West Point, they study his battle uh, tactics. Now, probably not the sling, you know, that one. There are other battles. That's what somebody said the other day when we were talking about this. It was a sling, man. That's pretty, pretty cool battle tactics. He had other battles. Read the Old Testament. You'll see the other. those are what they study. Although then the comment came, maybe that's what we're doing in Afghanistan. Anyway, never mind. Well, um, so he he has this genius IQ. He's got this military strategy. He's got all of these things going on for him. And you know where he is? He's hanging out with sheep. One of the lowest jobs in that society. In fact, other nations thought that was the lowest job that that you couldn't get any lower was to hang out with sheep. And uh He's hanging out there, and, and yet David didn't whine. He didn't say, God, I'm the man after your own heart. I'm the man. I'm the dude. You, you're, look, you're looking for me, God. He didn't say that. He didn't whine, and he didn't complain. And he didn't say, why am I here? David knew God, and he had spent a lot of time worshiping God one-on-one. -on -one, and so he knew him in an intimate way. When the lion came to attack, you know what he did to the lion? He killed it. There was no write-up in Dallas Morning News. There was no write-up in Sports Illustrated. You know, nobody was covering him like Lance Armstrong has been covered night and day. Nothing happened. No applause. Just him and God. Whenever something else would come to attack his sheep, what, the ones he's supposed to be watching out for, no applause, no record of it. He just did what he was supposed to do. Um, and so here's the deal. God always gives us his vision in private. He tests us with conflict in the private areas. And then if we pass that test, then God promotes our vision to the public area, from private to public. Because here's the point that I want you to remember. A faith that has never been tested is a faith that can never be trusted. Faith that has never been tested is a faith that can never be trusted. Our problem is this instamatic world that we live in. 
microwaves. Microwaves aren't fast enough, so we get bigger microwaves. You know, the industrial size. You can park a car in, those types of things. We want instamatic marital bliss. We want instamatic spiritual maturity. We want to be instamatically the CEO of the company. We don't want to have to pay our dues out on the hillside. Um, we want to... We want to go from the pasture to the palace, take shortcuts, but, but that's not what David did. And that's not the principle that I want you to see. Now, maybe, maybe you're in a job that you think is pretty obscure. And maybe you're thinking something like, well, you know, surely no one knows I'm here. Surely God doesn't give a flying flip about me. Maybe, maybe that's what you're thinking. Maybe you're a mom, and, and, and I've heard moms say this. Janie's a stay-at-home mom. Janie teaches our kids um, homeschool. There is not a greater job in the world, in my opinion, than what my wife is doing. But I've heard moms say, well, I'm just a mom. <laughs> there is no th such thing as just a mom. And, but they say, my life doesn't really matter. Surely I need to be doing something more than this. Nothing could be further from the truth. The truth is God has you right where he wants you. And, you know, when I think back to this church, how this church got started, um, God planted the, the vision for this church in my heart back in 1998, sitting in the balcony of a church outside of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Janie still remembers. We could take you to the seat where God actually showed me what I was supposed to be doing with my life. We moved. Uh, we, we changed all of our youth ministry to begin um, reaching out to people who were far from God. And it was there that God raised the, the vision for this church. I didn't realize it at the time. And it wasn't until I resigned my church here in town and I, I was building cow pens. <laughs> I was a welder's helper for a while. And then after that, when there wasn't any job there, I was sweeping floors. I was literally sweeping floors. And during that time, as I began to look around and began to talk to people about Jesus, it was amazing how many people I talked to sweeping floors. This, this building was being built and, and these guys that were way far from God we're asking me questions. They, one guy's called me preacher, man. I'm sure that was pretty funny because he knew I, I was a minister and I'm sweeping floors. Me and three guys that don't speak English. You know, it's like one of these things is not like the other. And I'm just sweeping floors and, and I'm having a good attitude about it. And I got to tell people about Christ. And, I, and I, I think back, it was shortly after that time that God said, you will open the doors of this church. Um, I'll talk more about that in a minute. It's when we're in the obscure not whining, not complaining that God will give us his vision. If God has placed you where you are in the obscure, he's hammering his vision into your life. And if you remain faithful and stay humble and realize it's by the grace of God, then he'll take your vision and he'll multiply it and he'll promote you in, in a phenomenal way. But it's in his timing and it's by his grace. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 25, 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. I want you to circle the words faithful with a few things, faithful with a few things. And I want to ask you this. Can that be said of your life? Could God look at your life and say, that's a person who's faithful in the small things. I can trust them with big things. Problem is, we want big things without ever having been faithful in the small things. And God says, my economy doesn't work that way. I do things differently. When you show me you can be trusted, then I'll give you um, bigger things. Your life is a test. God is weeding out those individuals that are just seeking personal glory or, or fame or comfort in life. God's not interested in those type of people. Those people whine and they complain. And while they're whining and complaining, they miss opportunities that God brings right in front of their face. And God says, when I can trust you, then I'll give you my vision. So if you're in an obscure place right now, relax and ask God to give you that vision. And then watch what he does as you remain humble before him.
Second thing you need to know about vision is vision and uncertainty are inseparably linked. Vision and uncertainty are inseparably linked. If you're something, if you're certain you can handle something in your power, you know what that means? God isn't necessary for your dreams. If you can do something in your power, God says, I'm not interested in that because God wants to do God-sized things so that God gets the credit. When we do things in our power, we pat ourselves on the back. It happens all the time in churches. It happens in individuals. God does something so big that, that we can't do it. You know what everybody says? There must be a God. Because you're not that smart or you're not that talented. You're not that rich. You can't do those things. I like what Alex put on, you know, we're trying to raise uh, funds to buy school supplies for all of Northside Elementary School. And he put on this on the little commercial that we have up here before church. He put um, one small church, one big God. Our God is big enough. I mean, it's going to take probably forty five hundred dollars to buy enough school supplies for all of Northside. We can't do that. I mean, look around. We don't have somebody in here that could just write that check and cover it. But we know a big God who can. And we're trusting Him to do things that are bigger than us. Well, a lot of people don't understand this uncertainty thing. They think that if you get God's vision, that it's all certainty around it. Well, let me explain like this. Let's just assume, I won't shine this at you, it's two million candle power. It's a camouflage. It's from Cabela's grand opening uh, that I went just a couple weeks ago. And this is something I wanted. I had a 750,000 candle power, but it wasn't good enough. So I got this one that is now two million candle power and it's rechargeable. Not that I'm proud of it or anything. Now, let's just assume this is a headlight. I, I took it out the other night. I'm like, Jane, come here, come here. Look at this, you know. He's like, what? And I said, you can see the leaves over there. on the Anyway, I get excited about little things. Let's let's say this represents a headlight on your car. Was your headlight designed to illuminate the whole city? What was the headlight on your car designed to do? Illuminate the path in front of you. How do you see beyond the area that's illuminated? You drive. You'd think it's really stupid if you're sitting in your car. I wish I could see the other side. And I could, you know, if, I, if I'm with Caleb and I'm in the car, I'm like, dude, get out. <laughs> Here's a flashlight. Go see what's on the edge. Of. That's foolishness. How do you see? You drive. You move forward. And so God turns on the light and he gives you his vision. But you don't sit still. You don't put it in neutral and wish you could see more. God says, this is what I want to do with your company. This is what I want to do with your marriage. This is what I want to do with your church. And you begin driving. There's uncertainty on what's on the outside of that, but you don't see people sitting on the side of the road going, oh, it's too uncertain. I just don't know. If you do, you're going, get off the road, freak. <laughs> or something like that. Something to that effect. Oh, man, I am so... Oh. My word is idiot. Get out of the way, idiot. The other day, Hannah, sitting in the back seat, look at all the idiots. <laughs> Nothing like a man of God teaching his children to value all people, especially when they're driving. <sighs> God says you've got to trust me. You've got to have faith in me, so keep on driving. And that's what we're going to try to do. Do you think David, when he was tending sheep, when, when he was out in the, in the wilderness by himself, do you think that he knew that he would fight Goliath before the armies? No, he didn't know that. Do you think he knew that he would become the harp player for King Saul? He was the one that played all the music for him. He was such a musical genius that when he played for him, the, the distressing spirit would leave Saul. 
No, he didn't have any clue about that. Did you think that he knew when he's sitting on those rocks out there watching the sheep that he was going to become Jonathan, King Saul's son's best friend? He had no clue about that. Do you think that he knew that, that Saul was going to become jealous of him and start chasing him around? One time the Bible says that, that, that David's over there playing his harp, you know, singing about the Lord and all that stuff. And Saul jumps up with his spear and tries to pin him against the wall. I'm like, just tell me, man, I'll change songs. He didn't know that. And then he has to run and he's, he's hiding in caves because Saul had gone nuts and was trying to kill him. David didn't know that. Do you think David knew when he was tending sheep that he was going to be king of Israel? No. There's uncertainty around the outside of God's vision. But you do what God has told you to do. You do that part that you know for sure. When we look back at New Life Community Church, some of you have been here since the beginning. Some of you hadn't. There is uncertainty with every decision we ever made. We decided on a Sunday night that we were going to start this church the following Saturday night. We had no place to meet. So we on Tuesday, we go and we talk to this dude and we're like, hey, man, can we meet in your building like free? <laughs> we're poor. We can't even take an offering. We weren't we weren't incorporated. Um, we couldn't even cash a check if somebody gave us offering, you know, that type of deal. So. We met at the old Rounders building. Old Rounders, Tammy's 57 Heaven. Uh, we met there rent-free for about six months. We got another one? Is that the only one? This is our actual first church meeting. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, about 17 people. Three years ago. All kinds of uncertainty about what was going on. We met there six months rent-free. Then they sold the building. Oh, no, what are we going to do? Well, then we moved to a computer shop. And things were happening. We're like, we don't know what to do about the children. We could meet in the computer shop, which, I mean, you see, it's, it doesn't look too churchy. <laughs> There's computers back here in the corner. And we're like, what do we do with the kids? Well, we'll rent the place next door. It was 250 bucks a month to rent the place next door for the children. So we had something to do there. We began to grow. And what happened then, uh, we were approached about this building. We didn't even go looking for this building. We were approached. And uh, you got some pictures about that? This is this room. You see, I, was, I became intimately acquainted with the sheetrock um, lifter there. Um, I became very acquainted with uh, the, the insulation. We don't have the one of Matt, but if you've seen our, our, our two-year video, you see Matt um, covered in insulation because Matt climbed up here. I got my, my large self up there and, and couldn't get through some of the rafters, so we got his um, lean body up there. You like that? Oh. Kind words, nothing but kind words. And Matt crawled around and I'm feeding him the hose. We had all kinds of uncertainty. That's this corner right here. Doesn't look that way anymore, does it? Is that all of them? This place, the point I'm trying to make is, we were, we were looking at this building and we were going, God, this room's kind of ugly. <laughs> I guess we can meet there. We had no idea. We put about eight to $10,000 in this building just to get it running. What are we going to do with the children? Is anybody going to find us? Will anybody climb the stairs to come to church? I mean, all kinds of uncertainty. Last summer, this, this weekend, last summer, there might have been 12 people in this room. Look what God's done. We got folks at the hospital. We got folks out. Look what God's done. In the middle of the summer when we're supposed to be having slumps, we are averaging more than we ever have in our church's existence. Last week we had 90. The week before we had 91. People out. One Sunday we had 85 here and I counted regulars. Not, not people that come you know, every once in a while. Regulars, church members. We had 30 of them out. And we had 85 people here. I'm going, oh man, I can't wait till school starts. We're going to bust loose. But there's all kinds of uncertainty going on. 
And, and so when we have uncertainty, what are we going to do? We're going to keep doing the last thing we know God told us to do until he opens up something else. This building sold. We don't know exactly what's going to happen next. Um, we did get an extension so we can stay here month to month. But we're looking at buildings all over uh, Palestine. Uncertainty. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Well, we're not going to sit there on the side of the road wishing we knew what was on the other side of the headlights. We're going to keep driving, keep doing what God told us to do. And God will show us in his timing what we're supposed to do. Now, let me tell you, if somebody in this church ever tells you, oh, I knew we'd be doing this. Just say, uh, uh-uh. you're lying, dude, because it is nothing but uncertainty. Um, and if you are uncertain, guess what? God has you right where he wants you, because then you got to get on your knees. A couple of weeks ago, some of you were here. We didn't, we didn't know what was going to happen with this building. We're like, dude, we got to get out. We don't have a place to go. So what do we do? We got on our knees before God and we said, God, we don't know what to do. <laughs> we didn't worry and go running around talking to other people. We talked to God. And we're asking him to show us in his timing. And he will. So we're just going to keep driving until God shows us. Now, here's a word of caution. When God gives you his vision, here's a word of caution. Watch out for vision vandals. Vision vandals. What does a vandal do? They mess stuff up. Every time you have a vision, you're going to have a vision vandal. Now, you might say, okay, we're talking about David. So David had a vision vandal. Yeah, you know who's, what his name was? Eliab, his older brother, his oldest brother. Look what it says in 1 Samuel 17, 28. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking like that, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about the sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know what a cocky brat you are. You just want to see the battle. Now, does that sound like an older brother? <laughs> you brat. You should be doing what, what, God, what Dad told you to do. Get out of here. You just want to see the battle. That, that sounds like an older brother. I want you to look at John 10.10. 10. It says, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what vision vandals do. They try to steal your vision. They try to kill your vision and they try to destroy your vision. The Bible tells us that when Eliab talked trash on David and tried to vandalize his vision, David simply began to turn around and talk to someone else. And that's good counsel. Don't spend your time trying to convince Eliabs of your vision. Don't waste time with them, you know, bringing out your charts and your PowerPoint and all this stuff, trying to convince an Eliab because they are not going to change If you try to change them, God has to change them. What God wants us to do is not to to yell at them, scream at them, get upset, whatever. God wants us to lovingly just turn away and talk to somebody else. God wants us to move with the movers. Don't spend all of your time with people that are going to suck the life out of you. (laughs) The caller ID people, you know, or the people that don't don't do it. Now, here's another thing you can do. You watch out for vision vandals. The second thing is recognize your resources. Where God guides, God provides. Real simple little cliche, but it's true. God will never call you to do something that he won't also provide the resources necessary to complete the task. I don't know how many times in the life of this church we've had a substantial gift given to the church right at the time when we needed it. Um, A couple years ago, we had a $5,000 check or $4,000 check come from California. Somebody that never was even a member of our church said, you know, just God put you on our heart. Here you go. Actually, the, the two of the three biggest single gifts we've had to this church were from non-church members. Just felt like you needed this. And we're like, yes. And we just got on our knees and praised God because it would be times when, when you know, the, the bank account was pretty low. And God would provide some, in some amazing ways. 
If David hadn't been close to God, he might have been tempted to use Saul's resources. But as it was, David knew he could use the sling. God had been training him for this. If he killed a bear and he killed a lion, he killed these other things. God had been training him to kill Goliath. And he needed to use what God had trained him with, not somebody else's stuff. Look at 1 Samuel 17, 38 and 39. Then Saul gave David his armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put on, put it on. I can hardly move. He's a teenager. Saul's 6'8". <laughs> he puts on his, his armor. I just, I wish I could have seen it. You know, one of those. I wish, that, I hope they have like a DVD player in heaven so you can rewind the things that you missed. The DVR, you know, type deal. Because I'd like to see some of this stuff as it happened. Because that'd be really cool to me to watch David trying to stumble around in Saul's armor. And he goes, wait, 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 I can't do this. And he takes it off. You see, David realized that what he needed was not physical armor. That's what man thought is logical. Put on this armor because that's a big, bad dude. And when he swings his spear, you're going to need, you know, some armor between you and the the spear or the club or whatever he's going to hit you with. But what he needed was spiritual armor. As long as he was walking where God had him, he didn't have a problem. So he eliminated what was not necessary. Um, Great visionaries are also great eliminators. You can't do everything. Vision is not measured just by what you do. It's measured by what you don't do. Vision is measured not just by who you hang out with, but by who you don't hang out with. If you're not regularly eliminating things from your life, you're too busy. And when God has his vision for you, you'll be stuck and you won't be able to move because you get all this junk going on in your life. And then guess what? God will find somebody else who's prepared and he'll give that vision to them. Because God's vision is not going to be stopped because somebody's too busy. He'll find somebody else to use. We've got to get rid of some things, but we also need to add something else. We're told about it in Ephesians 6.11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can fight against the devil's evil tricks. God doesn't dress us. We're big boys and big girls. God offers us all the resources we could ever need to face spiritual battles every day. But we've got to put them on. Now... Married men, raise your hands. Raise your hands. Okay. Just making sure you knew. Okay. Your wives know. Now, if you've been married for any amount of time, you've probably learned what I'm about to share with you. Back when you were single and you were going to go on a date or maybe you were going to go dance and whatever. I don't know what you're going to do. You'd get dressed and you'd, you'd look in the mirror and you'd go, I look good. I know we do this trash. Even if nobody else believes it, we want to believe it because our egos are like, you know, way fragile. But we wouldn't tell you that. You look and you go, man, I look good. When you walk down the aisle, something happened. I'm not exactly sure when, where it happened, but your wife looks at you some night. You're going to go on a date. This happened to me this past Tuesday. It is very fresh in my mind. You're going to go on a date and your wife says to you in a very loving, graceful way, you're going to wear that. And she doesn't say it, but, you know, what she's really saying is, you're fashion retarded, dude. <laughs> and you're going, but I look good. You know, it's my favorite shirt. And, and some, somewhere along the line, if you hadn't been married long enough, this will happen. You'll be sitting on your underwear on the side of your bed looking at your son going, man, we're going to look good today because mommy's going to dress us. <laughs> happened Tuesday night. I go in to get, Janie and I are going on a date. We haven't been on a date in a long time. And, you know, I, I'm, I am unconscious. And, and retarded. And she goes, she goes, we need to go on a date. So I said, okay, plan this date. We, I took her to Dallas. I go in the, in the closet and I pull out, matter of fact, these pair of pants. I was going to wear these pants and I'm going to pull out a shirt. And as I go walking into the room, my wife says, 
I think you should wear these pants and this shirt. And like any good husband, I ducked my head, I walked back in, I hung this up, and I pulled it out. And really, I chose this because I didn't have to iron it. And what she chose, I had to iron. But I wanted to look good for my baby, so she dressed me, and I said, that's all that matters is that I look good for you. She goes, you darn right, that's all that matters. She really did. I thought that was pretty funny. She said, I'm the only one that needs to be looking at. Okay, baby. Whatever, I'll wear But in the Christian life, we don't, we don't have people that dress us. God says, I want you to be clothed in the things of God. And He says, so you've got to... I, I'm giving you the resources, but you've got to put them on. And if you read in, in Ephesians 6, it talks about the armor of God. The breastplate of righteousness. The helmet of salvation. Um, gird your, your, your waist with the belt of truth. I mean, God, God tells us what this is, and He tells us how to put it on. And the whole reason we put it on is so that we can stand firm against the devil's evil tricks. And the devil's evil tricks with David that day was King Saul going, Here, wear some armor, dude. He didn't need the armor because God had already provided all the resources that he needed. Now, when we put on God's vision, we need to live out that vision by the Spirit of God. Okay, there's one other thing that I want you to know about vision before we wrap this up. Vision is contagious. I want to show you something that is contagious. We're not sure this is going to work. <laughs> that was it. It's working already. I've seen experiments where like a teacher will go into a room and if she has a frown on her face before long, all of the children in the room have a frown on her face. If she has a smile on her face, all of the children in the room eventually get a smile on their face. Have you been around somebody who's contagious, like their attitude is infectious? You like it. You like to be around people like that. I don't know if we can pull that back. It's really good if we can. It's kind of like the flu, but in a good way, you know, contagious. Let's look at this verse and we'll see if we can pull that up. First Samuel seventeen fifty two. The men of Israel and Judah shouted and chased the Philistines all the way to the entrance of the city of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Now, think about this. Before David came, there was no shouting. There was no courage. Lots of whispers. There was lots of eyes looking to the ground and feet shuffling. You know, because when your teacher calls on you and you don't know the answer, you don't look at them. Right? Oh, man, I hope they don't call on me. That's what these guys were doing. There was no shouting going on. David shows up, kills Goliath, chops off the dude's head, brings it back to show him. I mean, that's kind of gross, but then brings it back to show him. Ha! Let's go to war, you know. Vision is contagious, and God, God multiplies it in a huge way. David had no idea when he was tending sheep that his courage would infect the hearts and lives of his nation, and they would win a, a huge battle that day. We got it? Okay, we got it. Yay. Y'all going to talk about the snorting cat or whatever that was. I think Wes thought it was a bunny. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> it worked, didn't it? If y'all don't get anything else, remember that's contagious. That's the point that I want you to remember. 
If God gives you a vision for the life He's given you, you need to understand it and begin to live close to God. Then there's no telling how God's going to multiply that in ways that you would not believe. Um, we went through some really tough times in the first years of this church. And we really feel that God is beginning to expand that vision. And people are saying, we want to be a part of a church that's fun, that values people who are far from God, that we don't care how much money you have, we don't care what's in your background, whether it's drugs or prostitution or alcohol. We don't care about that stuff. We value people. And we're going to, we're going to keep looking in the eyes of everybody we see in this city and we're going to say, that person matters to God. And so, therefore, by extension, that person better matter to me. And I better act like they matter to God. And we believe God's going to raise up some more Christians, but He's going to start drawing in. Here's the deal. When God's looking for a place to birth new Christians, He's looking for the warmest incubator He can find in that place. We want to be the warmest incubator where God can bring people who will not just hear about God and not just pray a prayer, but then be taught how to walk with God in everything in their life. This fall, we're going to start Celebrate Recovery because we want to reach out to people, not just folks who are dealing with drugs, because there's a lot of folks dealing with drugs, but we want to show them a way that they can recover from drug addiction. We want to show people who've, who've gone through divorce that there is a way to recover. That's what Celebrate Recovery is about. We want to show people who have eating disorders that there is, there is a way through God's power that you can overcome that and you can recover from that. Anything in life, God offers a way to be healed. So we're going to do an eight-week series called... Life hurts, God heals. And at the end of that, we're going to start our own Celebrate Recovery program here. It's desperately needed because we want everybody to know that they matter to God, no matter what's gone on in their life. And by the way, if you want free marriage counseling, come to Celebrate Recovery because there's not a better thing you could do for your marriage than recover from the junk that happened to you when you were a kid that you're still carrying around in your, in your baggage that you've never unpacked. That's the best thing you could do for your marriage. Don't be like Saul. Saul saw his own limitations. He saw how big Goliath was and he said, oh, no, 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 no. David looked at Goliath and he said, my God is so much bigger than Goliath. Goliath looks like an ant to my God. I can take him because, I mean, it's like my son. If my son, he came and got me one night at baseball because this big kid tackled him. They're out playing baseball and this kid just tackles him and wants to fight with him. Well, Caleb comes against me. Caleb was a whole lot tougher when I was there. Dad, you know, <laughs> if, if Arnold Schwarzenegger's your dad, do you worry about, you know, the, the jelly jar lid being stuck? Probably not. If God is our father, do you worry about the, the small things in life? And all things are small to him. We just get our eyes off and we get them on the circumstances. God wants us to have the same kind of vision that David has. And it starts today. Let's pray. Lord, as we leave this place, give us your vision. Help us to follow you one step at a time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to take your registration card.